When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. I'm so excited. Today's guest is known to you as one of the most influential and highly respected journalists across North America. But he grew up in poverty, angry, and looking for a way to disrupt the systems that failed so many of us. You know and love him from hosting much music, from his iconic interviews with legends from Prince to Public Enemy, Keith Richards to Cool Modi. We're here with my brother, George Strombolopoulos, a.k.a. the iconic Strombo. In our conversation, you're going to hear detailed stories of who and what influenced Strombo to build a better life, stories he's never shared before. I'm Mark Brand, and you're listening to Better. What's happening? What's going on, buddy? My guy. What a way to get, like, grounded. You're just going to tickle the ivories for us (laughs) to get us started? That's exactly what's up. This is what I do every day. I start my morning, and I end my day by just, I sit here, and I go like, It just chills me the right out. As you know, I'm like you. I, my brain is it's working. not my best friend. So it's like this just settles, you know. <laughs> what an amazing place to start with exactly that. Like you, my brain is not my best friend. Yeah, like sure. all of us. That, rep, that reptilian beast that lives on top of our shoulders that's trying to keep us in fight, flight, or flee. Yeah. Is not our best friend, is it? But music definitely helps. Yeah, no, it does. You know, and and I and I say that, and I mean it. But I mostly, I mostly, what I what I don't add on to it is, and I'm okay with that. Like I'm not wired yeah. for. I'm wired differently. I think from I, I'm wired like a lot of people, but I'm not wired like a lot of people in that I don't lament my chemistry being the way it is. I just I, I operate with it. Right. And I don't, I, I'm cool with it, but I'm very, I'm super laid back about what this existence is. So, so that's, not, oh that's man. Really well, thanks for just dropping that tree in the ground that has about 300 branches we can run from right, right off the hop. But let's do a, let's do a quick check in because we're, we're, we're live, man. We're going. This is the interview, folks. George uh, is, I mean, I don't use the word icon lightly, and this is in no way speaking to your ego. It's speaking to the truth of your work and the breadth of it. And more importantly, to honoring the space that you've been holding for, you know, three decades for other people to share their genius, their brilliance, the amount of research and time that goes into unlocking somebody so that we can get to experience them, truly experience them. Um, I've been experiencing on the other side as a viewer and, you know, in the last decade as a friend, just to you and the shows, 
to know that that's just so critically important for our growth and development. Just when you share off the hub, that that sets the container and the space that it's okay. And so I, I want to just share gratitude no, before we kick off here. My pleasure, man. Thank you for having uh, me part of it for the kind words. What, what else is the point of the human experience, especially if you get to be a grown-ass person, if mm. you don't make it about the spaces between others? You know, when I'm 22, 23, 26, 30, just trying to figure out how I'm going to do this for a living, I operate one way. But you reach this, you have this scenario in your head where you, you have this narrative of who you think you are, right? And then you have the truth of how you act. And you're like, I need to get that guy closer to that guy. And, mm. and that's, and, and, but once you started, you, you, you get there, you realize that you have a lot of other things to do at the same time, right? And part of that is making sure that as you learn, you, the space that you create for others widens, widens, widens. You know, in the beginning of my career, I just was curious and it was fun. And then as you get older, you realize, oh, there's more to this. There's more value in this if you approach it a little differently. And that's kind of how I operated. But thank you. Yeah. Well, in that, so let's talk about the outside or external influences on you because the world that you operate in is largely, and I say this with great love and respect for the fact that we also get these platforms, but sycophantic and disposable. Right. So what does it look like to have somebody in the center who is the star today and maybe not the star tomorrow and then the star again next week and maybe not? How does that allow you to also be your true self and the guy you want to be? How do you navigate that? Well, I suppose I I don't look at a person that I interview or a person I interact with by their title or their accomplishment. I look at their title and their accomplishment is why they're sitting across from me. But that's where that ends. So there's no sycophant. I mean, look, I'm a fan of Led Zeppelin and Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones or The Clash. So when I interview members of those bands or them, I'm clearly a fan, but I'm not a sycophant. And that's different, right? It's so, so then it just, then it's just two grown ups talking. And I, I suspect it's why I do what I do for a living and why I've done it for as long is that I've kind of always thought that way. I've always, I've always kind of approached the situation as if this is just, these are just two grownups talking, even when we were kids, even when we were 23, this December is 30 years I've been on the radio doing interviews and it's a long time. It's a long time, 30 years. And I, I never really worry about that other stuff that you're talking about only because that's just not part of my brain. It's just not how I view the world. It's not how it's not my chemistry, right? I know what music and what, what reading and what politics and social activism, I know what all that meant to me as a kid and how it created opportunities for me. So I value that. So when I sit across from somebody, I don't see the celebrity. I see the space that they're creating for that next person. And that to me is kind of how I approach it. Right. Yeah. And allow me just to reflect it's so impressive to me that in an industry that operates that way, that I've always only experienced you as you, and you just responded to that prompt exactly that yeah. way. It's like, I, I sit in my truth. I sit in my power and I hold space for others to share their genius so that others can learn from it. 
Yeah, well, in that container. Well, so, bro, hard. you do this in your life and in your career. Um, it's about giving a fuck about the right things and not giving a fuck about the things that they tell you you're supposed to give a fuck about. <laughs> in our in our line of work, when you when, when you become a when you have a platform and you become a version of a public figure, and that the the the, the definition and the impact of that is amorphous, right? It changes all the time, uh, and it certainly changes. It's changing even even as we speak. Um, I've never given a shit about that part of it. I've never given a shit about the fact that I was getting undue attention because I knew that it was craft. This is fucking craft, right? Conversations are craft. Cultivating space is craft. And I'm an emotional person, but I'm not emotional about my job. My job is emotional archaeology, but it's science. I'm digging up the bones of a person's story with them and sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm blunt, so that means I'm using a backhoe. Sometimes you have to be more tender and gentle, so we're just using a little brush. But what I'm doing with the person across from me is we are digging up these bones, we are laying them out, that we can, we can guess as to what that animal is. But the audience, whoever's listening to it, the person at home or person on their phone or whatever, on the, the, the train on the way to work, they're going to talk about what that animal means to them. So uh, to me, this is always there was always this greater opportunity slash responsibility <laughs> to to be that to to take it seriously. I like I come across as super glib and punk rock and Satan and bullshit and metal when all that's true, <laughs> but but um, but it's all true. But what's what, what is never never <laughs> fucking waned in the moment is my <clears throat> my reason for doing this, which is that the us is better than the me. Right, the us is better than the you, and this is I can't do other stuff. I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not going to get into the other shit. This is my way of feeding the us as opposed to the me. Word up. So switching. Oh, thank you. First of all, like that all just hit me like a fire hose of also being seen as part of us. Yes, of course. This is it. Uh, this is it. Is us. Yeah. Absolutely. And so our my main tagline at all times is there's no us and them. There is only us. And once we get you and I both got very clear in our lives about sobriety and needing to be in that space of sobriety to be able to operate with the same integrity of the person we wanted to see in the mirror. And so by being clear and clean and conscious consistently, we don't have to have those concerns of being removed from it, yeah. being removed from the us. Because what brings us together is, of course, our intention, yeah. our integrity, yeah. our honor, the way we move, why we move, yeah. knowing our why, knowing where our limits are as well. Like you and I, politics is never going to be our bag, although people would love to see that. We, we are able to move better. Me, on the ground level, doing work and doing business the way that I do. You, in holding space for all of us to see each other. They're, they're the same fucking thing in my mind. Yeah. Like they, they're the exact same thing and allowing us to be able to feel comfortable in our own skin as a greater us is always, is always the challenge. I look at, and through, I think politics, I think politics is like pro sports and what we're doing is street hockey. We're playing street hoops, right? <laughs> like, like that we're not the, the, what I love pro sports, but let's be honest. It's about sponsorship and commercials, right? That's why all the boards uh -huh. are sellers advertising on helmets. That's Right. What we're doing is we're playing hoops on the street in a schoolyard. And so that that's and I'm and I like that because I, I actually feel like this is how you actually this is how you actually love the game. You know, this is how you actually love the game.
Man, I would play pickup at Rutgers any yeah. day before I would enter a collegiate level <laughs> or anything else. Like I absolutely would rather be banged around without the whistle mm-hmm. for sure. For sure, totally. for sure. So let's let's talk about it because everything we do is politically charged at the same token, right? But we I believe deeply that we the people. Mm-hmm. The us also means we the people. Mm-hmm. Music is for we the people. Mm-hmm. Punk rock, mm-hmm. rap music, which is my thing, is for us to see that the revolution will not be televised a la Gill, a la Chuck D, Black Steel. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. We have the power. And so when you're now taking into consideration your platform, your voice, what it is, where are you focusing your energy in allowing those political voices to really take center stage outside of the stuff that you're just doing? How much agency have you got on a day-to-day basis of like, you know what, I'm absolutely going to bring Professor Griff back and yeah. inter- interview him. Like, what does it look like for George? I can do whatever I want. That's the truth. I'll do whatever I want. Um, and and it doesn't always work. It doesn't always land. I can't always get someone to pay for it. I can't always find a, a partner. Um, but I don't really care. Because I remember doing the old talk show and I booked this guest, a punk rock singer who wasn't famous, but he was important to me and to us. And I said, hey, I want to put this guy in the show. And one of the producers had said to me, it's not really, I mean, there's going to be no audience for this. And I said to her, mm. true, but I knew she was a punk rocker in her heart too. And I said, true, but if people like you and me have shows like this and we don't put people like him on, why do you people like you and me have shows like this? Uh, and she said, Bars. and she said, true. She said, true. So we booked him and it was Jello Biafra from the dead Kennedys. I mean, it was one of the most important in my life, right? In my life. So, um, I, I listen, I'm in a position of privilege in that I've done this for 30 years and I have a certain, uh, uh, credibility and I have a certain uh, standing in the industry. Not really. I'm not really like, I'm not really a part of the Canadian industry at all. I'm, I'm always sort of in the margins who finds time to occupy the middle of the room for a minute, but then I go back to the margins, but I, but I don't, again, like going back to the thing about my brain, I don't lament the, that because I chose this. This is the kind of like, mm. I could have easily been way more middle of the road. I chose not to. Yeah. So I don't get mad when the middle of the road doesn't want what I have. I don't want that. So I, I, if I want to put an environmentalist on that I know people get mad at, Joe, hey, man, hit me up on IG. Let's go. Done. We do whatever we feel like. I, that, right now I'm doing this show for Apple, and they've been great. They actually really love the – they brought me over because they get the spirit of what I'm about and why I do this, right? And, and no one says you shouldn't talk to that person. Nobody says that to me ever because at 49 years old, (laughs) I am the wrong person to say that to. (laughs) I'm the the wrong person to say, you can't do this, you know, Um, Mm. because I know, and and this is where the sort of the swagger comes in. I'm on the right side of history in that, that I fight for people. Um, I grew up really poor. I grew up way below the poverty line. So no matter what's happened in my career, since I'm that guy, right, I'm that kid. I recognize how opportunity and privilege changes over time when you establish yourself. I get that. And I'm very aware of it. And I make choices. I adjust. But I'm still in my core, that kid. I'm still in my core, that kid. That chip on my shoulder, you know, the bloody knuckles. What I, I kind of laugh and say that it's a, I have a warm heart and I got heavy fists. And that's yes, that's man. always been who I was. No matter what happens in my life, that's going to be who I am. And I, so the things that I believe in, my values... I, it's about inclusion. It's about acceptance. It's about 
creating opportunities. It's about addressing root causes of issues. So I like I have the confidence and the cockiness of being on the right side of history. And when I haven't been, when I do, if I internally don't understand, and if there's a subject being talked about that I don't understand, and I'm clearly not, I don't automatically just agree with my woke friends about it, of which of course I'm woke, I'm left as well, I'm progressive as well. Plus, I don't even think the left's a real thing, to be honest with you. Um, it's not a unified thing, is what I mean. <laughs> is uh, It sure is. Yeah, and so if, if there's a part of it that I don't understand, I don't opine. I learn. Mm. I listen. So mm. I, I know that the shit that I don't understand, it's like, well, okay. And then once I learn it, I then use the same energy that I applied to not understanding to fighting for. So it, to me, it's very simple, right? Yes. So, so I don't worry so much yes. about... I never have to convince somebody, you know, hey, you should let me interview so-and-so because I'm never going to interview a fucking Nazi, you know, who's in, who's masquerading in politics and treat them like they're a regular person because they're not. They're the, sure. I still believe sure. that there are enemies, right? <laughs> and and some of them are important. Yeah, man. So I, I'm okay with, with, with what I do because the people that I deal with, they, 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 they agree. They agree that this is about – inclusion and, and, and connection and community, re, like small C and capital C community and like bringing people together. That's, that's what I'm about. So no one's ever really saying you can't talk to that person. When I worked at hockey, they were definitely not, they did not see the world the way I do. And you're seeing that play out every day now, right? Um, with, 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 with sports media. But when I was, um, everything else I do, people are like, yeah, of course, because they agree. I'm not the only one. Like we all, you agree. We all agree that this is we. Have, you want to tackle major issues in the world? Poverty. Poverty is yeah. poverty is the great crime. Um, that's not by accident, right? This is this no. is this is it's by design. Yes, a hundred percent. More for them, less for them. You know, and people like you and I who have been lucky enough to be, you know, successful in our careers, regardless of what we've gone through. We're, we're often in the middle where people think we have more than we have, but we have more than we did have. And so people like us try to strive to be those guys, fuck those guys, you know? So to me, totally. to me, the root causes of poverty are, are, are the fight to directly answer your question that I rambled around. I apologize. That is the fight. You did not. That is the fight. You did not. You know, is so in reflection, a couple of things, poverty is an act of violence. Mm -hmm. It's a domestic yeah. and international act of violence that we, perpetuate by being participants in capitalist structures. Mm -hmm. And before my Antifa, you know, t-shirt comes out of the closet and adheres to my face like spawn, you know, the fact of the matter is that we know that abundance exists. We know it's all there. We know, and we've been, you and I've been in it and then all the way through it. And we've seen the extremes of the privilege and the extremes of the wealth. But we also know that there is no justice in that. And I often think, if you could only get a few days with certain people who have utter opulence that you would be able to help change their minds. And that's why I built a better life foundation in part is to be able to have people be conduits to the work mm -hmm. that resonates for them and to help, you know, do that work. When often I just want to throw up the middle fingers. Yeah. There is a, there is a space for education and patience and there's a deeper calling to that to like, okay, we can either vilify everybody, which often I do from stage and I try to then bring it back around and say, hey, but when we say there's no us in them, we can't say except for those guys. Yeah. We can't say in small parts, if you're a fucking racist and a Nazi, yeah, you don't get to play in the sandbox until you sort your shit yeah. out. 
But everybody else, like we need to galvanize to make this stuff happen. And the second thing I wanted to share in reflection was you came to my original restaurant, Benita, back in Vancouver on Cordova Street. I built a booth in the back, first restaurant I ever built. And it was named after my mom. And the quote in that booth, which was going to, of course, because Vancouver, like LA, like New York, was going to host, you know, A-listers, et cetera. I put the quote that said, there are only two types of people in the world, Mark those who wait to talk and those who listen. And this is like 07, 08. And people would come in raging and they would sit down and read the quote and just kind of stare at each other and make a decision and a judgment about what that was. And so when you say your friends, particularly those who are politicized and injustice work, share something with you, instead of immediately being like, me too, you're like, hold on a second. Wow. Let me not only reflect on that, but let me educate myself so I can come back because I'd love to have this discussion mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Wouldn't the world be a better place? Wouldn't the world be a better, kinder, simpler place? Yeah, 100%. But we're not conditioned to do that. We are conditioned to assert. We are conditioned to present. Present. We are peacocks. That's who, the pe- that's who people are. We are mm. peacocks. And we are, because of television, radio to a degree, then certainly television, and now absolutely social media, people gain value from validation. And I understand there are Mm -hmm. lots of biological reasons for that. It's the thing I reject the most. The need to be validated is the thing that destroys us. And so, and it's, and it is the reason one, one reason why somebody speaks before they know, because they feel like, I have to be in this conversation. I have to tell you what I think. Here's what I did a long time ago, Mark, which doesn't sound like I do it because I speak for a living, but I also listen for a living and I present for a living. But I actually devalued my my feelings and my opinions on things. I don't have, I don't apply yes. any value. People, my friends are like, you know, how you feel is important. Uh, no, it's not. It may be important to me, but it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because what do I know? I have a wide worldview, right? But it's not as wide as it could be. There's a whole bunch of places I haven't been to. So what do I know? There's a million books I haven't read. What do I know? I have a, 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 I have opinions formulated on my exp- because of my experiences, because of what I've read, because of who I've met. And I've, I feel like I've had a very robust, rich experience. But I recognize that when I sit in a room with people who know way more sh- about shit, I'm asking questions. I'm not answering questions, right? Because I don't know. And I don't care that I don't know. And I don't care that someone's going to look at me and say, oh, I can't believe you didn't know. This friend of mine said to me the other day, you don't know that much about this subject at all. I went, no, like nothing, nothing. (laughs) And I would ask very (laughs) rudimentary questions. It was about art, right? Very rudimentary questions about this and that and this and that. And then I would go home and I would learn more, you know? And I, I like that. I like not knowing stuff. I don't feel the need to know shit. I'm, I'm a conversationalist. I'm an interviewer. My whole reason for being professionally is to learn shit, right? That, that's what I love. <laughs> All right. So two days ago in the New Yorker, there's a cartoon, which is my cartoon of the year now, um, which is going to distillate a little bit of what you just said, which is there's a, a man and a woman staring at a piece of art in a gallery And the woman is responding and she says, I said, (laughs) I said, 
what do you think it means? Not tell me what it means. That's it. What do you think it means? Not tell me what it yeah. means. Which is such a beautiful reflection on how we societally yeah. interact, right? I have to be the expert. No, just like how does it make you feel? Yeah. When somebody's listening to this at home, I want them to feel something that we're not, you know, we're intending to have a very comfortable conversation about things we care about. We're going to get into drug policy. We're going to talk about WFP and the matter of like, what does it mean to have food sovereignty versus food security? Like we're going to talk about some really important things that I think people should know about. And we do know about, and I know you feel certain ways about, like, I know that you do also have feelings and education around these things. And while we may not know everything, when I go to the G20, I learn shit. And I've been in food security and food sovereignty for 15 years. I'm still consistently learning. I was in community here outside of Mexico City three days ago. I'm learning on a plancha from grandmas yeah. of their 10th generation. Yeah. You know, you're always learning. But I also feel very deeply that it's important. So I think that those two things can be true simultaneously, that we know nothing and we know some stuff and we feel and we don't feel, and we make sure not to, more importantly, center our feelings in the conversation. Yeah. We can still have them, but you and I very specifically need to make sure that we're holding space for what may arise. Yeah, I mean, look. And if we're applying our own trauma and bias to everything, it can, nothing can arise. Oh, yeah, 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 100%. 100%. And, and I am not applying any of mine to that exactly, like, at all. You know, um, I also, uh, but this is where I'm not like a lot of people in my world right now. I apply even less value to my trauma, like the shit that I've experienced that would make some people's, you know, you know, the, the their drinks curdle in front of them. Um, <laughs> I, I process them. I deal with them. I, I put the work in. I put the work in. I put the work in. Um, That's it. Be, but, but remember, and again, I'm very, I, I was raised in a particular way. Right. For better or for worse, I think for better. My mom, I was raised by a single mom in the west side of Toronto. She was young when she had me. She was young and she was young and she was alone. And I had my sister and she would say to me all the time, the cavalry ain't coming. The cavalry ain't coming. And oh, but what she also said is, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's fine because nothing owes you, nobody owes you anything anyway. Um, and I was raised that way. Immigrant mom, first person in my family born in Canada. Um, the I'm grateful for the hardcore experience that I had as a child because my, my well, mm -hmm. and here's what I had plenty of was love. And I had plenty of support mm -hmm. from my mother. You know, what's funny is that, I don't think my mother ever once asked me what I was going to do for a living. Doesn't care. Right. My mother doesn't care. Right. My mother doesn't care about the job now. She always said to me, because in my family, we didn't have careers, right? We had, we got, we went and got jobs, you know, um, everybody just expected me to go work at the, uh, the auto plant, the assembly line, like my, my grandfather did. Right. Um, or, sure. or go work, uh, my grandmother wanted me to work at the TTC, the, the train, the public transit, because she said you can get a, you can get a, you can get a, in the union and you could sit down for a living. And she's like, and it's nice to just sit down and drive a streetcar. And I was like, yeah, for sure. So what my mother said to me, what you do for a living doesn't matter. How you treat people matters. So these are the things that. Yeah. So when I grew up not having, 
it didn't matter to me because I didn't need anything. Because the thing that I needed, she was giving to me, which was love, wow. love and support. And that to me was all, that, that, that's a hundred percent why I'm the person I am today. I'm a, I'm just drinking that in a little bit, man, and letting it sit. Cause emotionally, when you said nobody's coming, that's, you know, that's the center point of why we care about a lot of but things. What she added to that is what I should say, Mark, what she added to that was, and if you ever get in a position, right, where you can go and be the cavalry for somebody else, then you be the cavalry for them. So just because yeah, your right. experience is this does not mean that everybody who comes after you has to have the same hard scrabble life. Your job is to be there for others. She was very, I don't know how she knew this shit. She was 24 years old, 25 years old, right? Single mom, cocktail waitress, dead broke, uh, two kids. I don't know how she knew this stuff, but she knew this stuff. She's got that single parent strength. That's a next level. Mm. Single parents have this thing that <laughs> when I like, I always laugh, right? You know, people are like, oh, this guy's got that education. This guy went to this school. She's got that degree. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about that. That career. Say word. Your IQ means nothing to me. Your EQ matters to mm-hmm. me. And my mom's EQ is off the she like Einstein would look at my mom and be like, girl, what the hell? Because my mom's <laughs> EQ is off the charts. Her IQ, I don't know. I, we never checked. It never mattered in my home. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would argue it, it rarely matters unless we're doing the calculations to make sure that the train that totally. you didn't end up driving stays on the totally, tracks. Totally, you know, totally. <laughs> there's a couple things we need those yeah, folks exactly. for, but outside of that, yeah. we need we need a shit ton more EQ in this world, mm-hmm. man. So, I mean, I can't wait to meet your mom now. I'm putting that on on the list over You're here. Uh, and what a fucking job she did! What a job she did, man! For you to be able to walk in the world and and share these things. Um, when we talk about trauma, and so for people who are listening, you know, this, this word is thrown around so much, particularly in the last two years. And it is, we talk about in this work of trauma work, the original wound, the secondary wounds, so the original wound can be abuse at a very young age. And that could be emotional, physical, sexual. The secondary wound could be rejection, eight or nine years old. You're standing at the dance. You ask a girl to dance. She says, no, it feels like your world is literally falling in. Um, those two things could stay with you until you eventually do do the work. And when we say the work, what I'd love to hear from you is how did you get to that space? Because you you can hear the definitive truth when you say, it doesn't have as much resonance for me anymore because I did the work. Yeah. That shit's true for me as well. Yeah. So how did you get there? I, I, To be honest with you, Mark, I think luck had an enormous amount to do with it. I think luck had an enormous amount to do with it in that I, what I needed to be okay and what I needed to be able to make healthier choices in my life, my brain chemistry allowed me to do. So I'm Mm. very, uh, I have an enormous amount of self-control. Right. I have an enormous and I and I suspect that the self-control developed as a coping mechanism for all the things that were out of control in my life when I was a kid. Right. And so what I 
I I don't know if it was I don't know what book I read when I was when I was young, but I, I was re- I read all the time and I read a whole bunch where you realize that this is all class war, right? This is all class Ooh. war. And when people talk about patriarchy, they're right. But patriarchy is actually a tool in my mind of class war. That this is this is right. all about that. So I think what happened to me and what, what, what started to put me on the right track was, and I, am, I, will, I will yell this from the mountaintop, <laughs> and I, and because for me, this is it, <clears throat> music, the kind of music. I don't listen to bullshit. Right. I thought a long time. I mean, I do listen to bullshit, of course, but you know what I mean? Like when I was young, yeah, punk rock basically started the late seventies, right? 77 on, like I, I was born in 72. So I know the Stooges were earlier and of course, Patty 75, but the, 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 that late seventies wave of the clash and the sex pistols and the cramps and the damned, um, the New York dolls, they started. They and I, I have a very rebellious spirit and a rebellious heart, which was caused my mother much, much consternation. But I have a rebellious heart, <laughs> and that music. So when I saw, and remember, like hip hop, rap music was massive to me, but I didn't really connect to the party records. I could give a fuck about party records when I was twelve years old, sure, because. I was broke in a broke neighborhood with no future and all these motherfuckers in dance music, rock and roll, the big, the big bands, all these motherfuckers in rock and roll partying. I was like, cool, I'm going to party too, but I'm going to party to self-destruct. Right. To me, that was, (laughs) that was the thing. So I didn't connect in rap music with party records early. Now, as I got older, of course I got, I got it. Right. But what really hit me, man, was public enemy. And so Mm. public enemy and boogie down productions, were these mm-hmm. because I felt like they were talking about what was happening. There's a great line that came out later in the Chuck D. Cannon. Um, I got uh, one side of my street. I got a church. The other side, I got a liquor store. Both of them keeping us poor. Right. That that yes. verse. So that's what stays with me. So music to me, I was at a very impressionable age when the rebellious music was actually about fighting the system not fighting the system so i can have a lamborghini fighting the system because fuck lamborghini right that's the difference between now versus then everybody's opting in now and i get it there's value in it but when i was a kid at that crucial time in my life opting in was not what we wanted so i was just i think discovering or not discovering stumbling across and being introduced to punk rock uh and metal at a very young age uh, and then rap started at a very young age. I just feel like the best music in the world led by young, angry people um, who are angry at the right things. I felt like as I was lost and looking for somewhere to happen, as Gord said, that was where it was happening. So I think the early stages, I, I sometimes think this, that metal music made me realize I was going to be okay. And okay. And punk music made me want to make sure that you were okay. And Ooh. so the, the combination of heavy music 
like you work in food, right? Nutrition. The everybody keeps saying the mind and the body are the same thing, right? The mind is the body. That that gets the same thing. Okay, cool. So if you just eat sugar all day long or eat bullshit all day long, your body's going to collapse. But that's that's cool. scientifically sound, right? If you listen mm -hmm. to bullshit and consume bullshit emotionally all day long, your mind's going to collapse. You're going to get diabetes of the brain, and that's hundred percent. That's how I feel. So that so I, but and I am. I don't listen to most pop music. I, I I get it. I don't listen to most of it. It doesn't resonate with me at all. I like some of it, but I'm from an era where pop music that was on the charts was Cold War shit. <laughs> you know, it was like talking about real things. So to me, I think to the direct. So I, again, let me be very clear. I don't give a fuck what anybody listens to. Do your thing. I'm saying that's what started me on the path to doing the work. Was you can only sing along to those lyrics so much before you realize what it's about. And then when you realize what it's about, if you're curious, you'll ask questions, you'll read. And I remember going into, uh, I, I got a job as a 14 year old at a Mr. Submarine, I was making sandwiches. And I had one of those beat up old Sony Walkmans. And this is right in the eighties. And I don't know what I was listening to. I was listening to uh, like probably New York Dolls or the Sex Pistols or fucking Metallica, sure. right? and early Metallica and the, the guys, an older guy working there said, what do you listen to? I told him, he's like, oh, you like the heavy stuff? Yeah. And he said, why? And I said, cause you know, question the question, no question the answers, man. And he looked at me and he says, yeah, fuck that question, the questions. And my mind, <laughs> that's, and that's what I mean about the luck. That's the luck, the right person at the right time who had no reason to alter my trajectory he could have easily just been like, whatever, kid, and dismissed me. What he did was he right. looked at this lost, young, angry boy and said, there's another layer, son. There's another layer, yeah. son. And I was just so lucky that the people who I crossed paths with who liked music and read the right books kept showing me there's another layer, son. I have a lot of warmth in my heart for those lost, shitty kids that everybody likes to make fun of online right now you know, for, for having, for not having the views you agree with. I also disagree with them. And I think they're shitty kids, but I got a lot of warmth in my heart because I realize if we don't, if we just shame them, if we just shame them, show me a time in history where that changed their mind. Show me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm waiting. Where, where, where is the prompt to have a look at a different way without accusation. God, yeah. So let me, I just want to, I, I want to go back to the front there, which is first of all, first concert I ever saw in real life, 14 years old, Dartmouth Sportsplex, takes a nation a million tour. You guys can't see me right now, but I got to shut them down. T-shirt on. Shut them um, down, shut them really down, shut them, shut them down. Changed my whole life, man. Changed my entire trajectory as a human being. Uh, I have the deep honor of getting to play music with Keith Shockley now on a regular basis. You know, we, we follow these these threads through our life that are Chuck spoke from a stage and I heard absolute call to action and truth with incredible drum samples from James Brown. But I heard call to action and truth predominantly. It was like, who else is speaking this truth? KRS, the teacher, was obviously yeah. speaking that KRS truth. KRS one was master. Griff Solo was speaking. Oh, huge. Yeah. I mean, huge, huge, because he also, hopefully. We're trying to share some of that same thing with a listener right now, which is speak to me like we're having a conversation. Don't talk to me in jargon. Don't over 
complicate things that are simple. When we talk about processing our trauma, music, of course, is a center point because I can now access feelings that I am compartmentalizing. I'm compartmentalizing them. I, I put them, I push them down. But when I hear somebody else yell them from the rafters at 12 on my Sony Walkman with foam headphones, I feel seen. And I really believe that like, oh my God, there's more people like me. And yeah. if we can all get together and do some shit, we might just change some things. And we might just go ahead and, and it was, be anti-establishment. And it was tough. It was angry music. And there's value in that, man. There's absolute I remember being a teenager going to Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, taking the subway. And as we got closer and closer to the Carlton stop, which is where the rink was, um, the subway cars started to become more and more populated by us, these fucking really angry mm. fans. And we were all going to see an early arena show of Metallica. And Metallica, th this is before, this is on the Injustice Tour, right? So it's, there's no Black Album yet. I got into that hockey rink when Metallica went on stage and there were, what, 14, 15,000 people there. And I was looking around and I thought, whoa, so we're a thing. Like, <laughs> we're, we're a thing. Now, it wasn't positive, but it also wasn't negative. What it was was real. Because heavy music at the time was yeah. very much Lord of the Rings and goblin-y stuff and historical stuff. And that's cool in the 70s. Metallica shows up and says, uh, here are the streets. And that changed for us, that mm. aggression. And what I liked about it too was it didn't tell me, it didn't tell me suppress your anger. It said harness your anger. And I thought that that was really important when I was a young person right? I'm feeling all these things and everybody's saying, don't feel them. Fuck off. Don't tell me what to feel. I'm 14. What do I know? I'm not yeah. listening to you, right? Yeah. Metallica goes on stage and harnesses that aggression. And you're like, oh, there's another way to do this. We can be artists. Definitely. About this. You know, that really mattered. You know, the other thing that really, that really helped me um, f figure out my way through was cinema, was movies. And I, yeah. learning about different cultures, because I came from an immigrant family, my uncle would take me to, Indo I was like 13 years old, my uncle would take me to art house cinemas to watch bizarro Russian movies um, in, you know, read subtitles and learn about the world. Like that's, that was, I was exposed to ideas and art from a very young age. Um, and that really helped me understand my place in the world, that I wasn't the center of my own experience, that my experience right. was not that interesting there's a whole world out there <laughs> that matters way fucking more than your heartbreak. Not that your heartbreak doesn't matter, but holy shit, look what's happening over there. Right. And, and, and the right. art that I, I didn't read comic books. I'm not a comic book guy. I, I mean, I had a couple of issues of Conan and Spider-Man as a kid, but not really. It was music and movies, music and movies. Right. And then and then my uncle would just hand me newspapers to read. So I, so I, to, exposure to the world is, and then being told you can be upset about it or you can learn to do something about it. That's what helped me process all the shit I was experiencing and realizing, oh, for me, and again, I'm not telling other people this is how they have to be. For me, this was my way through it. Yeah, I wanna dig right into that. So 
in that moment, yeah. you realize that you're part of something. Yeah. And so my, my entire fucking purpose on this planet, my entire life through music, through playing records, through building culture and community and food, now in justice for 10 years, has always been around breaking up isolation. Yeah. So in my early career as a DJ, I didn't really fuck with the cool DJs. I always found the more musically talented, awkward, socially inept DJs yeah. and created clicks to work together, not for the purpose of it, but because I wanted other people to see their genius yeah. and to experience it because when the 95% of folks can be seen and heard and understand that their voice matters and their feelings do matter and their taste matters and the way that they do that, we have a much more robust and interesting planet to live in. It's always been my take. Yeah. But we can also do so much healing. Yeah, yeah. And so I always say, you know, we know that addiction is the single biggest cause of instability. Isolation is the single biggest cause and of instability and addiction. So if we're alone, we look to fill that void. And for me as an alcoholic and also as a drug user, it was always about being able to put on a mask because I hadn't processed anything. Put on a mask so I could continue the show. It's like continue the show by being able to be avoidant and to play a character and part of myself. And so music allowed me to just be myself. But where like where does George like at what point in your trajectory, you're you're basically a household name in most cities in Canada by your mid 20s. Right. Like people know who you are. You you have a name. That essentially is resonant. You get a one name like our brother who's passed, Prince, like Oprah. Like you get one of those names. You have that. And so when you have that amount of pressure on you to be a certain way, which you've always held in light and integrity, we talked about that from the jump. How do you end up processing? And for people at home in particular, man, like how do you deal with the pressures of day to day? How do you deal with an addictive personality, an all in personality and get to the space that you're in now? You, you want my real talk answer? My real talk answer? Please. It's all ego. Please. All the things that lead to our, that feeling pressure in, in what we do for a living, that's ego. Okay. Kill your ego. That's a long time ago I did that. So I never felt pressure. I never felt pressure uh, when I was at Much Music. I never felt, because it was there and people started to react to me and it's, you know, when, especially cause much music, you had a very specific relationship with the audience, right? right? Feeling the need to be something was ego. And once I let go and, and how you were judged was insecurity, which is ego. So, and I'm talking capital E ego, right? So I thought I don't want that. Also, I'm very practical and probably like you, survival was really important to me. I wanted to be able to get out of my life and continue to do this and grow. And I saw so many people collapse under the weight of their ego um, and their insecurity. So on a very practical level, and maybe because I grew up pretty rugged, I wasn't going to, there were enough, um, there were enough re obstacles ahead of me. There were enough people coming at me, I wasn't going to be one of them. Right. So cool. I got out of my own way very early and I realized, okay, I didn't write the record. So why am I, why am I acting like I write the record? I didn't write the book. Why would I act like I wrote the book? I didn't write the bill that became law that I didn't write. So I'm not going to act like that. What I have is attention. 
and I have profile. And with that comes many a distraction. Um, but, and booze and drugs are free. If, and certainly early when you're in that life and you have access, there's access to all. And not only that, there is an expectation that you will play along. And I looked around and I watched just a lot of people in my life collapse because they simply could not live up to the headline that was written Damn. about them or that they helped construct. And I just thought, you know, straight up, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not doing that. If you want to kill me, right. someone else is going to have to kill me. I ain't going to do it myself. Like, I'm not going to make the choices that I can't get away from. And I, but I was very conscious. Like I was, I was having these conversations with myself back when I was 22 years old. I, I went straight edge when I was 22 years old. Um, I earned it too. Like I earned it at 22. Like I had, I got that you're going to die thing from the doctor. I got all that shit. You know, I got the last rights, you know, when they thought I wasn't going to make it through the night kind of thing. Um, my, I got all that young and I just came out one day and I just thought there's a great clip, Jim Brown talking to Richard Pryor when Richard Pryor was in the hospital, I think after he set himself on fire. Mm. And, and I think Richard Pryor tells us one of his acts. And I saw this when I was young where Jim Brown said to Richard Pryor, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? And in the back of my head, I just kept hearing, what are you going to do? What do you, some of it's out of your control. Some of it's out of your control. Some of it is addiction and brain and mental health and, and, and chemistry. And so because of that, you can't do it alone and you ought not to do it alone. But there's an infrastructure in place that if you get lucky enough to be in a, I didn't, I didn't need that at that point in my life. Um, but I was very much about what, how old do I want to be? Well, I want to live to a hundred, so I better start making choices because I'm going to be, a, and I came up with this phrase a long time ago, if I'm lucky, I'm going to be a man a lot longer than I'm a boy. So if I don't want to focus on this too much when I got this, so I, what I did, bro, and this is how I did it, I woke up one day and went, that's it. That's it for the next little while. And I went to work. I'd gotten a job at a radio station, right? I went to work on my day off. On my day off, I went to work. And I just replaced my bad choices with work. So what I did was I went into work. I wasn't on the radio at the time. I was just doing behind the scenes stuff. I pulled the blinds down in a production studio. This is pre-internet. So I looked at the clock, you know, as the, as the second hand was clicking. When it went to the top of the hour, I pressed play on a tape machine that fired an intro. The guy at the other radio station went downstairs to have a cigarette. I went into his booth when he was away, photocopied his sheet, stole some music that I would then replace, put it in and I faked a radio show and I did it every single fucking day. Every day that I was gonna go out, that I was gonna go make a choice, every single day, I would go in there and I worked and I was probably in that studio for three years, every day, every day. Wow. What happened? Wow. What happened was I had trained my subconscious to do a, bu a bunch of things. Number one, know who you are. 
So you're going to want to do something. Don't suppress your desire to do. Fucking do. Because you're in a crisis state. You're in a crisis state. So when you're in a crisis state, you, you, you know there's like long-term fixes and then there's immediate danger. So in my crisis state, fucking fill it up with something that's not going to hurt you, right? Yes. But be cognizant of the fact that that's what you're doing. So don't act like this is your savior. This is not your savior. Mm. This is a means to an end. And so I became aware of it's a means to an end. Inadvertently, what I did, dude, was I just got a ton of mic time. So that when I went on the air, finally, when my boss gave me a chance, I was a person, I was still a fucking boy, but I had my voice. I had, and that's the hardest thing to do with broadcasters and interviewers is, and people in general, but especially when you have to present public is what's your voice, right? I had through fighting through a barbed wire, you know, fucking thorny bush of the next year of my life. (laughs) What I had done was steeled myself to know who I was. I would, I would like, I'd still, you know, I'd want to go on a date with somebody and I would honestly tell her I'm, I was 23 years old, right? 20 fucking three years old. I'd be like, yo, yo. So I'm free between two in the morning and four in the morning because I'm working all night, really. And then I'm going to go back in. You know what we would do? We would meet at 24-hour diners. We would just meet at 24-hour diners and buy like $2 eggs, you know, and bacon. And because I knew early in that part of my life that I wanted to get out of my situation. I was very lucky that my brain chemistry identified a way out. And I was privileged that somebody who had no reason to give me a shot gave me a shot. Nobody said, go home. Dude, I would sleep for two hours on the couch of the news director in the station. He would come into work in the morning and see me sleeping on the couch and wouldn't wake me up. He would leave. He identified, hey, this kid probably is here for two reasons, because he really wants to be here or he probably needs to be here. And so I was just very privileged and lucky that a bunch of people who had no reason to give a shit about me did. So I, I, I call it the grace of others. And the grace of others are how I got here. So when, when the pressure was on, when my career was starting to build, I did not act like I did it because I was just merely the result of the caring and love and understanding of a whole bunch of people who came before me who gave me that shot. So I was now a representation of them and their care. Sure. And I actually would say that to myself. You represent everybody who is kind to you. Don't fuck this up by making this about you, right? And I would say, and my friends, I had friends who were like that as well. So we would really talk to each other. I found good friends who also wanted to do something. And we found our community and we just got in it together. And honestly, we thought we were the Beastie Boys. We're like, fuck it, we're the Beastie Boys, man. Let's go get it. Absolutely. So hold tight for a sec. I mean- while I'm receiving everything that you're saying as your truth, a hundred percent. And okay, hold that thought because I gotta go get. I gotta plug in my laptop. It's gonna hold on one sec. Hold on. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. There we go. There we go. Sorry about that. All right. Cool. Not at all. Not at all. So here's here's the reflection. I love everything that's coming here, and I feel like you know I've heard you talk for hundreds of hours in my lifetime. Um, 
and hearing these these pieces, I just know how important they're going to be to the you and me's of the world that are currently 22 and 23. Um, but what I also want to honor for them and for you is that, you know, lock yourself inside the studio for five summers. That's what you just gave us. So that's, that's you. That's not just the kindness of the people around you. That's some yay shit yeah. where you were like, nah, I'm going to be here perfecting a craft that I honor and I know is my calling yeah. when nobody's watching. Yeah. And it may never lead anywhere, but I know that I'm going to have given it my absolute best shot to be the best voice when I hit that microphone hot, that I'm going to be 100% confident in my ability to discern what somebody's going through, to be able to distill the conversation and reflect it, to be able to hold control of my levels, to know that I'm watching the clock, to have all of these skills that I'm teaching myself and also picking up via osmosis of being in the space. But there's also dedication and honoring yourself outside of the kindness of others. Oh, of course. Yeah. We, we, we've had a lot of that, but you gotta, you gotta do the work, right? It's, and it's only that it's like, like the, the, you only have the keys to this life for a certain amount of time. And then you're going to pass the keys on to somebody else and they're going to take the car and they're going right. And it's, what do you do with your time? So what I have in abundance is work ethic. I have work ethic. Mm -hmm. I don't have a, I don't have ambition. I I have drive. I don't have a need to achieve. I don't have, um, I'm not a high functioning personality in that, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't feel like I, I have to do this. I, I don't think about any of that stuff. So for me, Mark, what really, 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 really resonates is that language matters. Language matters. Mm-hmm. Not what people say to me. I don't care what people say to me. I don't care. Okay. I will not be nobody, no nothing, nothing, no space has power over me. Right? That, so what, to me, what matters is the language I tell myself. Going back to the mind is the body thing. Your subconscious mm-hmm. doesn't really know what's real and what's not real. Your subconscious takes the fuel. So I switched the script in my head. I would tell myself, hey, um, you need to be, you need to make yourself undeniable at this job. Here's how you make yourself undeniable at this job by doing the stuff that most people can't do is work the way you work. Make yourself, that doesn't mean they won't deny you. That doesn't mean you will get the opportunity. But what it'll mean is that you filled up your time doing your part. And if you get like, I've been annoyed and angry and frustrated at many times in my career because I'm a human being and I like to fight. So it's, it's natural that I would feel that stuff, but I don't ever let it sit in my head. It's different when you're talking about addiction and trauma because, and processing trauma, because I did whatever I had to do because I'm from the generation that didn't have the tools. So people have access to tools and language now. I never had access to. Are you fucking kidding me? Not only did we not have access to, we were told if you need that, you're weak. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that we just didn't have access. We weren't like we were told you definitely don't want that, right? And so no. so I'm not saying people should do it this way because people I'm 
Another strength that I have, which is very dangerous for most people today, and nobody likes to do this on Instagram anymore because it's they find the language toxic, but I'm hyper durable. I'm fucking durable. Right. And I'm resilient. Yeah, man. I'm durable and I'm yeah, resilient. Man. So <laughs> I word up. So I people don't love that because they're like, you shouldn't have to feel that shit. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. But the point is the world is the way it is. And I was raised in a world that was like this. So I did what I needed to do. What I never did, man, was develop a thick skin. And I think it's dangerous to develop a thick skin. What I developed was the ability to feel it all, respect it, honor it, discard it, ignore it, but then fucking move on. Thick skin protects you. I never wanted to protect myself. I wanted to make myself able to handle it all. I don't think that's good for people to do that. I I did it. Man, so right. I got lucky. Right here. I did it, right but here. I got lucky. I don't think that this high-risk approach to survival is a good idea. It's just what I did, right? And I think it's really mm-hmm. important. That, like, So when I answer these questions, sometimes I come across a little bit, I'm super edgy about it, but I really want to be clear. I made a calculated risk choice and I got fucking lucky. This kind of behavior, I, I, I don't think that everybody should do it the way I did it. But what you should do is recognize you can only be in control of what you can be in control of. The things you can't be in control of, you can't be in control of. You try to exert some power, gain some of it back. But the things that I knew I could control, go get it. 100%. So I really want to double click on this because I think this might be one of the most valuable parts of this conversation, of which there's a dozen plus, by the way. So again, man, fuck. thank you so much for showing up 100% as you always do as yourself. I, spent, I, I, in I, live, moment, I live in this haunted house by myself. I have a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for the conversation. Yo, the next, the next conversation's in person, yeah. man. I'm looking forward Indeed. to seeing you. And so here's the one. You saying do not develop a thick skin, feel it, process it, honor it. This is the entire – one of the big things that I'm always trying to communicate to people is if the community is unwell, we're all unwell. And I say it all the time and people are like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, what it means is if you walk through life and so say you are on Bloor Street, say you are in the Mission Tenderloin, say you are in Skid Row, the downtown east side, Hastings Street where I operate, the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Snohomish, Stoho, Squamish nations, all of these places, if you walk through them and see people who are unhoused, mentally unsafe, who are addicted, and you pretend that that's not affecting you because you've developed a thick skin – you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. You are you are further traumatizing you and other people. Mm-hmm. And so I, the New York example is the one I use. I'm like, look, you get up from you, you've rinsed off the day, you go home, you disconnect in whichever way you do, you know, whether that's with drugs or alcohol or Netflix or sex or all of the above. And then you wake up the next day, you rinse off and you start to go to work. You jump on the L train, you hop off the L, you see somebody unhoused. You take another block, you see a family unhoused. You take another block, you see somebody pushing a cart. By the time you get to work, you're on edge. You think it was the traffic. Maybe it was in part. A lot of it is because you're a true human being and you have empathy and you're feeling the fact and knowing that this is not right or just. So we are all unwell until we're well. And so the systems that Jello Biafra and Chuck D and all the shit we grew up on, Chai Pig, 
where yelling was the same thing. It's all the same thing. We have everything we need. It's being withheld from us. We know it and we can feel it if we're not processing it consistently and saying, I'm also active in the cause to try and fix this. And this is my part. Then how, where else does it go? It can't go away. And, and, you know, people like you and I, who have been lucky enough to build careers around being ourselves, we don't have the same experience that they have now. Right. And it's, it's, you know, when, when we talk about our experiences and, and how I, how I approach all this stuff, I'm talking about my life and career, right? But I recognize that that's not the real world that a lot of people who are comp- who live in compromised realities have to face. So uh, I, what you hear, I'm sure, and I hear is a lot of people saying they're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do, right? And I just tell them, Correct. do something. Wanting to save the world and fix it all is ego. It's no one asked you to save the world. Do one thing. Don't let great be the enemy of good. Just something. Yes. I like so. It's funny you say the L train. So I used to have an apartment off of. I used to live in uh, in Brooklyn off the the Graham stop of the L train. And you you yeah. you come in from the East Village. I moved back to the East Village. Uh, once the strollers move into the neighborhood, I move out. That's how I look at it. <laughs> when the strollers come in, I'm out. Um, so uh, you 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 get on this. You get on the train on the L train in New York, you get off all the stuff you described is, is the daily experience. Everybody's overwhelmed in their own way because of noise pollution, light pollution, capitalism, fucking the job situation. How am I going to all, there's a trillion things that every human brain, and then there's social media is fucking everybody up now because they're like, Oh my God, my life's not like this. Oh, so (laughs) right. And that, that to me is, so you got all these things that are out there to get you. They're all out there to get you. They want you to feel bad so you buy shit. They want you mm-hmm. to feel bad. Don't think they don't. They do because it's commerce. Um, and so you, you're dealing with your own reality. It, you, you look over here and you see this thing happening on the street. You just assume the government's going to step in. The government are made up of people. Mm-hmm. They work for corporations too. Mm-hmm. You, you have – the system's not designed to work, man. It's not designed to work. Exactly. If it, if it was, it would. It's not designed to work. So people get overwhelmed by all of this. And I get it because there's days like where I live in L.A. right now, the, the, the people experiencing homelessness here, the, 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 what's happening in L.A. is, is it's catastrophic. The, the, the crime is catastrophic. What's happening here in L.A. outside my house is, okay, we're, this shit's going to pop again. This shit's going to pop again. Yeah. Uh, I can't fix it. I can't fucking fix it. But I'm not supposed to fix it. I'm supposed to do my part. Now I have a platform, yes. so I do what I can with my platform. You do what you can with your platform. You have a restaurant. I have our organizations. We do what we can do. But then you try to inspire people to figure out their way of doing things because then they'll do something different that we can't understand how to do because that's not our experience. And then they'll inspire exactly. somebody. And that's community, right? That's the idea. Yeah. And so I, I, I find that I find that for me, and I think everybody should do this, do the thing that is best suited for your skill set. So my skill set is durability. That's my skill set, <laughs> right? My skill set is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's my skill set, right? Um, so my whole career 
my whole life is centered around that, which is, yo, I'm really good at being unflappable. Fucking A, let's be unflappable, right? And not everybody, but the people who aren't unflappable, that's not bad. That's fucking dope. Go do a thing that that's good. You know, be good. So I think everybody's just got to find out how can they make a difference? You do one little thing. There's a great Martin Luther King quote, which is service never slumps, essentially, I'm paraphrasing. But if you ever feel badly about yourself, go help somebody. Service never slumps. So be in service of somebody else and your brain will be healthier because of it. And you don't have to do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Nobody can because you're a human being. You're, you're, You're a creature. You're an animal. You have needs too, right? Do what you can with what you can. And if we all did that, shit might get a little better. The problem is, bro, and you know this, is that what we're doing are just moving chairs on the Titanic, right? At the end of the day, if policy doesn't change and if social programs don't grow and don't evolve and if corporations don't pay taxes and it, that's really the the crux of this. We can all do what we yeah. can do, but we can't really stop people from losing their homes. That's what the fucking banks do. And yeah. the banks. So how is it that the banks keep making all the money unchecked? What what because they're in cahoots with the government. But we know that, right? This is all this is all real shit. So we we can do what we can do. And we should do what we can do, but let's just keep an eye at who the real enemy is. A hundred percent. And the real enemy. A hundred percent. What we have to try to remind people, especially people on the right, because the people on the right have turned into these fucking, I don't understand. It's like, don't be mad at people in states of distress. Be mad at the people who put them there and keep them there. Right? Correct. That's it. Correct. And well, this is this, this is the class war stuff you were talking about earlier. And something, you know, we're going to move. We got to move to a close, although I want to talk to you for another three hours as as per usual. Keep going, dude. What, why um, not? What, what are we? Let's keep going. <laughs> we're going to. We're going to. But this, in the same sense of the community's unwell, you're all unwell. The other part of that, the flip side of that coin is the only thing that will keep you safe. And I've worked from fucking Lagos to just recently, three days ago, in, in the slums of Mexico City external which is terrible language because that's not what the experience of being there is or the Western fjords of Iceland or Maritimo in in Italy where people's experience is not our Western experience. And when the world changes, they are prepared. They're fully prepared because they don't eat money. They know how to grow food. They know how to look after each other. They don't have bank accounts enlarged. They don't need this shit. It's not what life is about. It's about having enough for the day and being present in the moment and the happiness and joy that that brings. The external forces that enrage you and I are those people are being oppressed unfairly by the gross need by the capital structures to continue to extract every resource that will hurt the planet to a place where those folks aren't safe. Which we, and they did nothing to participate in the system. Which we contribute to by being participants in this and – uh, and sometimes we're leaders in it, right? We sometimes we're leaders in the fucking yeah. buy shit uh, game, and and the which is terrible. But there is a system in place that we participate in. I, I have a home. I recognize my. I'm very lucky. I have a home. I have a car. I have a motorcycle. So I, I have a position where I don't like. If I want to have a thing, I do a thing, right? So I, I try to do other stuff as well, 
but I recognize my role in the capitalist thing. I worked for a lifetime on t- I, one of my favorite, even though I work with I work with Apple, which is the big company. But one of my favorite things about what I'm doing with Apple now is there are no commercials on my show. So when I, I don't have to say, you know how weird it was being on Hockey Night in Canada and having to say, here's the <laughs> as a guy who doesn't drink, as a guy who doesn't drink. I had to be the guy that would go and say, time now to look at the Budweiser red light scoreboard. <laughs> you think I don't, you think every time I said that, I didn't be like, you fucking malaka, right? You think I didn't think that? I thought it. I contribute to it. Oh. I acknowledge it. But look, it's an imperfect world. I'm an imperfect human, mm-hmm. but I have my imperfections, but I'm not mad at anybody else's imperfections. I'm doing what I can with what I can. And that's why, like you, I go to places because you and I are in a position where we can go to places around mm-hmm. the world and do what we can. Um, I don't. I, Absolutely. I don't chastise people for enjoying their life. I don't. I, no. I, I think no. I, I know that there are some people who do, and that's okay too. It takes all kinds. We're all trying to reach each other, ourselves, others, this, in, in our own ways. And I, I. Th- one thing that is true is that the global South has suffered so that we can live lives of convenience and privilege. Correct. And there are two ways, there are many ways to handle it. One, stop it, which is not going to happen. Number two, Correct. make it more sustainable for everybody else so that they can also benefit from this. And that it doesn't have to be about, um, we don't have to be a scourge on the earth. You know, I, I, I sort of laugh, but because I'm stopping myself from crying, when people say, get corporations to pay their taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Which is true, which is true. But the part of me that laugh cries is, what makes you think the government's going to spend that money wisely anyway? What Ooh. makes you think? <laughs> so yes, corporations should 100% pay their taxes. Everybody, mm-hmm. yes, 100%. Okay, so then what? Where's that money going to go? So some politician exactly. can build a fucking housing development in their riding, in their fucking a golf course, you know? So yes, corporations, go get them because they influence and sway. But I also, I'm be, and this is where the punk rock in me comes from, like uh, goes, yes, everybody's got to pay their taxes. But whoa, those elected officials who are currently mostly, not all, but many are pawns of, the system, many are. Mm-hmm. How do we upend that? Because yo, let's say we do get good tax laws one day <laughs> that are enforced. The fuck's that money gonna go? My, I pay my, I pay a ton of taxes. You pay a ton of taxes. I look at the services in my city; they're going down. So, Definitely. where's that fucking money going? Where's that money? But I'm not like the person who does. I just don't just hate the government. I'm like, no, no, no. We need the money to come in. We need the money to come in. But where's that money going? And wh- why are why aren't there more safe injection sites? Why aren't wh- why isn't harm reduction taught in school? Maybe it is now. But why isn't harm reduction? Why isn't uh, that level of understanding? I, I keep hearing about let's talk on let's talk day, and everybody talks about stigma, 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 which is all great to have that conversation. It really is. But by the way, change costs money. Yeah. In, in investment in infrastructure and all my, I don't have a lot of friends in the right wing, but I have friends who, who don't admit to being right wing, but they're right wing. Totally. They keep talking about how 
government should be run like businesses. I'm like, really? This is why I think sustainable development is actually a right-wing um, ideology, but they don't fucking know it. Is that, is that <laughs> you, you want to run a country like a business? Would you ever let a business operate this poorly? Of course not. Would you ever let the supply chain be destroyed on every level? To, no, you wouldn't. A real conservative, a real conservative, and a real liberal, by the way. I think liberals and conservatives are very similar in our in our world, part of the world, you know, because the middle are very much sure. like the right. Do you do you, you want people to contribute and participate in your economy? Well, why don't you give more people access to your economy? You want people to um, you want people to not be a drain, what you call a drain on the system. Well, why did you create laws and legislation and realities where that where that exists you you want the police to serve and protect well why do you arm them like the military and not train them properly and make like i grew up in a neighborhood where we don't have a lot of love for cops right for sure these 24 year old kids getting thrown into neighborhoods that they're not properly trained for this heavily armed like every level of the chain is broken or flawed, or fucked up, or designed. Every level of it is. And if we want this to run like a business, proper, like a good successful business, well, then we would fix all the levels. Now, granted, I don't think countries should be run like businesses. I don't think they should. But the why wouldn't we help every single person have access to health, why are you subsidizing shit food? Why aren't you subsidizing good food? Why do we even need to subsidize good food, right? Why do food deserts exist? How do, why does a food desert exist in a city? Why are so food many- Food apartheid. Yes, it's intentional. And this is, I would have more respect for the right wing if they just acknowledged what it really was. What it really sure. was. I would have more respect. Oh, some of those lizard people are coming out for sure. Yeah. Some of those folks are just standing full blown right. in the sunlight, being like, "I'm not burning, right. but I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying my thing That's at this right. point." You're like, "Okay, I would have more respect. good to know your enemy." Totally, I have more respect for the centrists if they just acknowledged we're willing to throw people under the bus so we can have a little bit, because that's what that is. A hundred, right? If you're going to be that person, then be there. You know, don't pretend. Yes, that, like, like that's my thing. Is like, is is there is most of this is fixable, bro. Most of this is fixable. If not all of it. <laughs> yes. If not all yeah. of it. I mean, I've spent 10 years in the research because you and I share a similar brain that I need to know the yeah. answer. I, like, I, I'm, I'm aware that I can't administer the solution, but when I'm tested on it or when I'm testing somebody else on mm-hmm. it, I need to at least be able to look them in the eyeballs and say, for a definitive fact, yeah. it costs three to five times on the system – of our government business, mm-hmm. more money in all the different services and fees to keep somebody homeless than it does to house them and give them wraparound services. Right. That's definitive That's data. That's not maybe. That's a fact. That's an absolute fucking yeah. fact. So we as a society, when I say poverty is an act yeah. of violence, we have chosen to keep people unhoused. Right versus just paying for them to have a home, to have food, to have medical health, to have all of the things that often are undeserved privileges that we are by luck, by grace, by hard work, whatever it may be. A lot of folks don't have that opportunity. And yet we choose our money, our tax dollars, 
are going towards oppression. Yeah. Literally towards oppression of people who cannot right. pull themselves up by their bootstraps, which is an insane thing to say. We've been, brain- and, we've been, and all we've been brainwashed to think that totally. we have to show up. Uh, if you're fi- if you show up on time for work, you're already late. Show up 15 minutes early. You're not paying me to show up early, fucker. Right? Like we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to 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 feed that shit. And what we instead of us being angry at that, most people download it to the people who didn't do what they think they did. Right? Exactly. It's almost yeah. all. Look, there are some things that are not intentional. In that. There's an earthquake. Do we now? Did we? Are we? Sometimes there's a natural. Are we prepared for this? Who the fuck knew? I, I talked to somebody who five years ago was with President Obama five years ago, and asked President Obama, "What's the thing that keeps you up at night?" Right? Uh-huh. And Obama said to him, "A airborne virus, a global pandemic." That's right. Five years ago, right? That's right. And now look where we are. But why are we where we are? We're where we are because the tax on the healthcare system. Why do we have a tax on the healthcare system? Well, why, what are we eating? What are we marketing? What are we doing? What is all this? There, there are there are a million things that have that that we have done to make us feel like we can't do anything about it. This isn't business. This is class warfare. Yeah. This is class warfare. So what what is the solution to class warfare? Well, I mean, I don't think there's one solution. I think there's myriad solutions. I think it's about changing. It's about changing the education system. It's about um, it's about a government who decides they're going to go all in and they're going to blow it up and restructure the way our culture works. You need the will of the people to go for that way. I think here's here's the solution: take money out of politics. Number one, right? Like okay. ban lobbying. I mean, I get like you have to still you have to still get outside opinions, but take all money out of politics. That's the number one thing. Change the voting system, change education, give people access to food. Make sure that people don't vote out of desperation, that people vote out of ideology. That's different. People make choices Mm. and have a little bit. I, I don't care that democracy isn't my side winning. It's not democracy isn't my side winning. Democracy is the common. The group coming together to go this way. What we need to do is we need to take things like poverty, childcare, women's rights, trans rights, food, those climate change, those are not political issues. We have to stop letting those be framed as ideology. They're not ideology. Correct. There is no, like, I will, I, I will gladly debate anybody who sees the world differently than me. And I'm not saying I'm right. This is just my way. But human rights are not a point of discussion because it's not ideology. A woman's right to choose is not ideology. If you are a religious person and you think and you think that what that person's doing is a sin, they're not religious, so they don't have to play by your fucking rules. You have to play by your rules, right? If I am not Muslim. So you know what? I don't have to do what my friends who are Muslim have to do. My mother's a Christian. Mm-hmm. She has way more rules in her life than I do. Right? And yeah. I don't have to do that shit because I'm not one of those. So I made a choice. I'm not that fucking guy. So people have to realize that you can do what you want with your fucking life. 
But anytime your values infringe on somebody else's right to their own self-determination, that's not ideology. That's oppression. That's different. And so I, I think you have, to, you, have to, you have to restructure the narrative to let everybody know that a healthy planet, healthy food supply, workers' rights, um, a, a functioning Medicare, a healthcare system, getting people out of poverty, getting people mental health treatment. I, I, I had a family member who died on the street. I had a family member die in the street, somebody in my immediate family, right? Dealing with mental health issues and homelessness. So I, 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 I lived this, right? And the, the, none of that is up for political debate in my mind. That's how you change it, dude. Because then we can, we can hum and haw about what are we building? You know, do, you know, should there be a highway here? You know, why, why does this corporation have a monopoly? Why, what is it? Why? The, we can talk about those things, but the majority of the stuff that we call political points of view are not political points of view. The climate change is not up for debate in my mind. No. no. It's not. So th- this is where we're at. People say to me, like, now I get people sometimes on my social media, they're like, you know, they told us, you know, 20 years ago, if we didn't do anything, things were going to change. How come everything hasn't changed? I'm like, bro, the world's on fire. What are you fucking talking about? We're living climate change. <laughs> We're living climate. I live in California. If it's not the fires that'll get you, it's the mudslides. If it's not the mudslides, it's the fucking earthquakes. If it's not the earthquakes, it's the police. And if it's not the police, it's the crime. Something's going to get you, right? But fires and mudslides, right. fires especially, they're everywhere here. We're living climate change, you know? And people in indigenous communities have been telling them for years, hey, here's how you manage a forest. Yeah, man. We've been told by the first peoples, here's how you manage a forest. But what did industry fucking ignored it? Industry ignored it. So uh, to me, those things are not political issues and we have to stop allowing them to be political issues. Like when someone says same sex marriage is up for debate. Uh, No, it's not. (laughs) Not even kind of. Shut up. I don't care what your religion tells you. You don't have to be in a same-sex marriage if you're religious, right? You don't have to do it because you chose that religion. You're not right. That's your choice. So same-sex marriage is not up for debate. You don't want to have an abortion? Don't have an abortion. Exactly. You don't get to – those are not up for debate. You that, And that's what I'm talking about is that to me, the, the rules have to we, – we have to stop this thing called false equivalency. Stop treating the one scientist like that opinion is worth more than the 17 million scientists. It's false equivalency. When I meet somebody who's like, you know, the thing about gay marriage, I'm like, whoop, stop. We're not having this conversation. (laughs) There's no thing about gay marriage. There's no thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's a, so my crazy answer about how you change it is you have to stop engaging on some stupid shit and start focusing on some mm-hmm. real shit. I'm talking about conversations, right? Cause those things are all clearly not stupid. They're very important and they're life threatening. The, the amount of people who kids who are trans who attempt suicide, it is a shocking number and how dramatic that number drops when there's one adult in their life who sees them and supports them. So you're telling me 
that because you don't understand it, which I understand, I get it. There's some people who just, who are 65 or 35 who go, but I don't understand it. Cool. You, cool. Whatever. Like whatever. Don't. Right. So, so your reaction to not understanding it is to further endanger somebody. Are you exactly. insane? Like, yes, is the, the answer. answer is yes. And more than insane, <laughs> you're dangerous. Very dangerous. So to me, it's like if I talk to somebody who says, you know, the thing about, you know, are you going to let a, a trans person enter a sports team from a different gen, uh, a gender, you know, girls? Boy? And I was like, yes. But what about yeah, definitively? First of all, it's like you're talking about a high school sport. Yeah. Yes. Because what's school about anyway? It's to turn us into robots and babysit your kids while you go to work, right? School right. is supposed to create great adults. Why don't we create some great adults? Your fucking daughter's yeah. high school field hockey team is up in arms because of this conversation. Fuck your daughter's <laughs> high school field hockey team, right? <laughs> fuck your fuck the high school field hockey team, you know? So that's 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 what I'm saying. Like I'm not even having that discussion with people. I'll I'll do an interview, bro. Period. I'll do an interview with somebody, and they'll start talking that, and I'll 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 hit stop on the record, and I'll say, "You sound like a moron," and I know you're not a moron, but you sound like a dangerous moron. If you want to keep having this discussion, I'm going to take you apart. Do you want to, or do you want to, right. or do you want to listen? Right. Okay. Here we go. You were saying, right? Because I'm simply not going to give a platform to people who are endangering others because they're stupid and they have no reason to have that platform in the first place because you could sing a song. Like, I don't give a fuck what Van Morrison thinks about COVID. I give a fuck what Eric Clapton <laughs> thinks. Of. Is Eric Clapton a great guitarist? Totally. Do I give a fuck what Eric Clapton thinks about the mask mandate? No. Shut up, move on, you know? So that's that's my, my, my whole thing is use my angry street punk rock metal boydom. Use it to fight mm -hmm. to protect people, yes, not sir. to attack them. And this, yes, is why, this is what we gotta, yeah, this is it. And, and so anyway, that's my answer to your question, but what do we do? <laughs> I, fucking, I fucking love every part of it. And two things. This is going to get me so much hate mail, by the way. I'm going to get more death threats. And I'm, oh, I'm here man. for it. I'm here for it. Oh, that's a, we, we know how to deal with them. We're decades deep in that's this. Right. So and more and more importantly, it's going to save that kid right now who's trans listening to this that to know that we love and we'll defend them tooth and fucking nail against anybody who ever And comes you against. are who you say you are. Exactly. You are who Literally. you say you are. Yeah, whatever. I don't care what any – listen, I, I – th there's a line that I keep saying every year as New Year's, and I, and I stand by it, which is this is for the brave, right? This life is for the brave. But if you're not feeling your most brave right now, come stand behind me. I got you, Right. And yeah, it's the same for you, Mark, right? Come stand behind you. You got them. It's, it's, if you are vulnerable and you are being attacked, I'm on your side. I'm every day. You're the same. We're very similar in this respect. What you and I have is we have a proficiency for words. We know how to present ourselves. We have confidence. We have, an, we have more than enough of our share of um, shattered plates in us that make us the sharp edges that we are. We're not 
we're, we're, we're lovely, but we're not overly friendly. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're rough boys. Right. Sure. And, and so if that's who we are, what we really are is we're weapons. Correct. So I say to somebody, I said this to one guy, I said, so well, people at Standing Rock when I was at Standing Rock, I'm a weapon. Point me. Where would you like me mm-hmm. to go? What would you like me to do? Because mm-hmm. you and I have an enormous amount of privilege being white men or white presenting men. And uh, in, th- in exactly. this age group and, and on top of that, in the capital structure, we're men who make a living doing what we love, our passions. So we have an enormous yeah, amount man. of privilege. That privilege ought to be fuel. And it's fuel. So use it, burn it. Don't store it, burn it. And I'm burning it as a weapon. You're a weapon. What do you need done? I'm not a statesman. Exactly. I don't need to be a statesman. No, no, no. We also can't stand those yeah. rooms. There's there's also like, there's no space for us no, in those no, rooms no. because we don't want space in no. them. So we build our own tables, yeah. absolutely build yeah. our own tables, literally, literally, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and also metaphorically. So we're working yeah. at Save On. Save On Meats is my diner on Hastings yeah. Street there, yeah. and my social impact business. You know the spot. And we've got two servers who are trans who I adore. I fucking adore them. And I'm working in New York and my my partner, Ash McLeod, hits me up and he says, hey, the, they would like to do a drag show in the diner because there's no space for them in the queer community to do this work because it's right now gay only drag. Is that true? Not trans I mean, drag. This was yeah. the moment. Yeah. I mean, this is just, I, I don't think it's true now, yeah. but I think in that moment there was just a little, there's only a couple of spots where that happens. Those spots were leaning gay, not trans. And they were having trouble booking shows and they really wanted to perform their art. And so we were like, just do it in the fucking diner. Make the diner cabinet your fuck, literally stand on the diner and use it as a runway. Use the whole thing. We got you. Like, whatever you need to do, smoke machines, we'll, we'll staff yeah. the bar. Brother, you know the neighborhood. People are not coming down in droves. There was hundreds of people lined up down the block for their first show, sold out every single time, turned the place into it's a place of radical inclusion and acceptance. Stand behind me. Yeah. If somebody's got something to say, that's my space. By all means, just give them my phone. You know number. what I do? I'll happily have the conversation. For sure. What I do, and I know it comes across as very heavy-handed, and there's a lot of people who don't like that I do this because they think the world is a little bit more gray, and it is gray in some respects, but it's black and white in many. Um, is I show them old photos of of historical struggles, suffragette struggles, okay. civil rights struggles. I show them historical struggles. And invariably in those photographs, there are the people who are trying to affect change. And then there are people who are the obstacles to change and the obstacles to include. Mm. And I show people those photos and I say, when we take the photograph of this time, who are you in this picture? Who are you in this picture? And it's that black and white for me. I understand. I look. I alienate a lot of people. It's part of the reason why the hockey nine Canada thing didn't work. Totally fucking fine with me. <laughs> part of the reason why is part of the reason why a lot of people. When I was on a CBC show, I had a lot of love and one respect, and a lot of hate in another community. I'm okay with it, right? I'll, I'll die on my hill. But I'll just say, here's the photograph. Who are you in the photograph? Who exactly. are you? Do you think everybody in the photograph? understood every nuanced part of the discussion, the legality. No, no, 
Not everybody understands everything because, by the way, these people had families too and lost their jobs and they don't even realize that they're protesting against the people that they're actually on the same side as. You know, like the, the, there's a lot of nuance here, but who are you in the photograph? I know who I want to yeah. be and that's a choice. It's an active choice. And so, and of course, I'm talking to people in positions of power and privilege. I talk to my friends in the hip hop community. Of course. I talk to my friends in the hip hop community now. I was like, you're going to use that language in your song? Right? They're like, yes. I'm like, okay. So you are the voice of the oppressor. Or at the very yes. least, you're using Period. tools of oppression. If you, if you talk about the gay community that way in the song, understand who you are. Freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Yeah. I don't believe in censorship for the most part. Of course, there's different. But say what you want to say. But understand who you are. To my friends in rock music who in the 80s wrote terrible shit about women. Yeah. That's who you are. Understand. Mm -hmm. Now, do what you want with it. You're an artist. Be you. But understand. Don't tell me you're 22 and being a transphobe in your song has some significance. It, it, it does in showing you who you are. And you are. Yeah. And so if you don't, if you don't hold your artist, like I, I'm tired of people telling me words matter. Right. And then they listen to bullshit where words don't matter because what matters is context, right? <laughs> words and context together yeah. matter. And, and I understand that, but but if you say that and you make money off of targeting people so you can look cool, okay. But that's who you are, and don't act like you Definitely. don't act like you ain't that because that's who you are. I, 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 I <laughs> I'm very much about that when it comes to music. You know, it's just like what you say is often who you are. Definitely, or who you are in that yep. moment. So of course, there's also the grace and the opportunity to, to learn from the feedback from George, from Mark, from the general public when you step on stage and say something about HIV that's super crazy, to then take that feedback as one of the biggest artists in the world and go, right, my bad. Because showing that you can learn from feedback has got to be one of the greatest fucking gifts we can give our, the general public. Unlicensed to ill, the Beastie Boy said. Father, you got to be able to grow, right? Totally. Unlicensed to ill, the Beastie Boy said. Their father had AIDS, so I shot him in the head, right? Mm -hmm. If I play guitar, I'd be Jimmy Page. The girlies I like are underage. Spanish Fly, all that stuff. The mm -hmm. first Beastie Boys record. Third Beastie Boys record. Definitely. We're here in Sure Shot. Well, I want to say a little something that's long overdue. This disrespect of women has got to be through, right? To, to the mm -hmm. Tibetan Freedom Cut. This band grew. They have to be allowed to grow. They have to, exactly yes. what you're saying. People have to learn. You have to let them learn. But there are certain things in this era where we know better. You know better. Sure. If you do it just sure. to be a dick, then you're a dick who endangers people. And like, there's certain, like, I'm Love not that. mad that, that, I mean, there's a guy who said this thing in 1981 on the song. Yeah, 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 totally. It's shitty. 1981 is different than 2021. He should have known, but culturally people didn't know. People know now. Right. So we're saying now people know. They have the access to the information. Yeah. We have the world in our pocket. Yeah. There is no excuse for still being ignorant to causes that could if kill If you're them. listening to um, Migos and you hear what Offset says about people in the LGBTQ plus community, right? In 2021, if, if, 
you're empowering Offset to say that stuff, then, then it's you. Like, you know. This is 2021. We know. We yeah. fucking know. We don't have time for him to learn. We have to stop that kind of conversation now. People are dying. <laughs> People are at risk. And so we, you know, Migos has to, of course, learn. And, and it's not just, I'm not, I'm only singling on Migos because Offset said that thing and he doubled down on it. But sure, the, it's not just, it's, it's all walks of life. You know, it's, it's every genre, every job, everybody has people in their life who say this shit. And yes, we have to counsel them, but we have to stop them from saying it now too, because people are dying and it's, you know, better, you fucking know better. So in that same thing, well, we speak about this often, but talking to the audience right now, see something, say something is so critical. And that's not for the NYPD. I'm talking about misogyny, racism, all of the forms of oppression. You have to check your fucking friends. You got to check your friends. You got to check the guy on the bus. You got to check the guy at the club. You got to check the guy at the hotel. You got to check the Karen at the cash register. Everybody needs to be checked consistently. You can't, can't, you're right. You can't do every single one. Sometimes you're on the streetcar and you don't want to get stabbed. And you know, so you just keep your mouth shut. If somebody is being an idiot, Okay. There's reason for I understand people not wanting to get beat up. I get that, but there's ways to do it. The hope is that it's not one person standing up. The hope is that exactly. the majority stand up, right? I was on a streetcar in New York. I was on the L train, a subway in New York, dude, and some guy stood up and said something. A white guy, he should not have said, right? Okay, he, he said, and I was on the other end of the train, and I was with a friend of mine, and I just said. Oh, that guy's about to get hurt, right? <laughs> yeah, he's about to get hurt. And someone said, "Well, I hope somebody talks to him because violence isn't the answer." And I said, "He's not listening to words, right?" And that guy, that guy was in was just a puppy whisker, a puppy hair away from having the rest of his life changed. And he was lucky that people stood up. And I, and I was like, hey, 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 we're not doing that anymore. A few people said something, right? And he recognized he was outnumbered, you know? But you're sure. looking at it going, oh, that guy's about to lose teeth for sure. And my friend said, I hope, I hope not. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm on the fence. You know, like I feel like he has it coming. I feel right. like he has it coming. And, right. and I, you got it. But what happened was a bunch of people stood up and that de-escalated. It wasn't one person. And it wasn't the marginalized community that had to stand up. It was a bunch of people who stood There it is. Because it's our job. Because we benefit is. from it. Yeah, I'm like, listen, well, I also have a lot of fun and play music and enjoy it and write. And like, I still, you know, but so to me, it's not all, like, I'm not always in the fight. But my, I kind of am always in the fight, you know. I just make sure that, that I, people don't feel like they have to do everything. Just do something. Just do something. You know, do yeah. something and, and then yeah, I think man. we'll be okay. It's a lot lighter if we're all lifting a little bit. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Yeah, man. Would you do us? Would you do us the honor of playing us out? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I have hundred percent. I'll play something sweet to counteract all the stuff we just. All right. <laughs> if you must.
<laughs> so look, I'm going to share one last thing with you as we hit the two hour oh, shit, mark. Two hours, right on. Ten, ten years ago, February, right. I traveled to Toronto because we were doing a TV show for the Oprah Winfrey Network. Yep. Um, and said TV show was supposed to be free access across the country, but it only became free in Ontario. And in the very last minute, they decided to charge for it in BC, right. where it would change the trajectory of Save On Forever had it been free. It was not. So we're in Toronto. I've just found out this information and I've got to go on your show. But it's not live. It's live yeah. to tape. And it's my defining moment, a segment that I thought was super powerful. I was like, wow, what a cool prompt. Ten years ago, when this is not normal vernacular and people aren't talking about this, and I got there with something very deeply prepared. I was like, okay, I don't want to fuck this up. I'm going on Strombo. I want to make sure it's something that's right. And I was going to talk about a specific mentor. And when I got there, man, the energy of what was true for me, which was a dear friend of mine, Michael Haggerty, was my defining moment, who was living street and trench. We became best friends up until four days ago when he passed away. He was one of my guiding lights. But 10 years ago on your show this February, I shared that moment. And in reflection of being able to sit with you today, I was like, Life is so long and so short at the same yeah. time. And the opportunity we have to share these moments is really sacred to me. And your time was so important today, man. I learned so no, I'm much. Happy, I'm, genuinely. I'm happy to do it, man. And I appreciate you uh, letting me be a part of it and share these stories. And my condolences to you, condolences to you about Michael. I saw that post. And I, I, I hope that – look, love – people say love is love. But love is, is powerful when you put actions behind it which is something you've been doing and the people in your life have been doing to you. Um, and that's kind yeah. of what we're supposed to do with our platform is show them that love is a rallying call. Um, love isn't just a feeling love is a, love is a guide. It's a, it's a map. It's an action plan. Love is a, is, is the proverbial bullet in the gun. Love is the gun proverbially, right? Uh, metaphorically. So, <laughs> Yeah, and that's what you were doing. And that's what, and that's the story what you told. You talked about change, how much you changed. Yeah, man. It's it's yeah. a lot. And I appreciate that reflection. And this is, you know, another conversation and many as we intersect in this life through various 100%. moments of our own 100%. journey. Um, and sharing the spaces is critical, man. So thank you again. <laughs>